Hello, and welcome to Planet Beyond Podcast, brought to you by Fugro, the leading partner in uncovering geodata from the greatest subsea depths right up to outer space, and hosted by me, John Baston Pitt. Today, we're bringing you a shorter episode that was recorded at Oceanology International during March 2022 in London. Indeed, we met so many experts from such a range of backgrounds that it is not possible to include them all in our regular episodes. In this interview, I spoke to Steve Hall, Head of Partnerships for Seabed 2030, which aims to bring together all available bathymetric data to produce the definitive map of the world ocean floor by 2030 and and make it available to us all. But I'll let him introduce himself. So now, here's the episode. I've been in the industry for over 30 years and some of your listeners might know me from when I used to be chief exec at the Society for Underwater Technology and uh, I worked for over 20 years in the National Oceanography Centre in Southampton where I uh, ended up as head of uh, the international office and things like um, heading the UK delegation to UNESCO's Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission. But my latest role, uh, as of Monday this week, I've just joined the uh, Nippon Foundation Jebco Seabed 2030 project as the uh, head of the partnerships side there. It's, a, it's an international program. Uh, Jebco is the general bathymetric chart of the oceans. It's, the, it's been around for a long time, many, many decades. So the Nippon Foundation in Japan is a philanthropic organization and they kindly fund our organization to be able to carry out this work. So really what what they're able to do is to go to somebody like me who's who's been in this this family for a few decades and use the contacts that I have, the, 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 the friends and contacts in industry and working in the research institutions and in you know, navies and equipment manufacturers so that we can sort of pull together, you know, what have you got, what's that dusty data set that's in the back of a drawer that you gathered back in 1985 that you never thought anybody you would be interested in? And that will be kind of how I fit into this world. How would you summarise the topic we're going to talk about? So the, the topic is, you know, filling in the gaps. And it's this attempt of us feeble humans to try and come up with a comprehensive global map of the shape of the sea floor. I'm sure your listeners will know, they'll, they'll hear that anecdote that we know more about the shape of, you know, Moon or Mars or even Venus than we do about the Earth's ocean. It's not entirely true. I mean, we, we do have a pretty good general view about the shape of pretty much all of the sea floor. But when you try to drill down to get detail, there are still massive gaps. We're in the UN Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development at the moment, runs from 2021 through to 2030. And one of the targets we have in this quite constrained time slot is to have accurately filled in all of those gaps in our knowledge about the shape of the sea floor. Some will know thinking back to the lost Malaysian airliner for example MH370 when she was uh, when she went down 
we found there were massive gaps in our knowledge about the shape of the seafloor. Uh, it had been assumed that the Southeast Indian Ocean was going to be a kind of reasonably smooth, easy to explore kind of place. And it turned out it was full of mountain ranges we didn't even know were there, uh, you know, valleys thousands of meters deep that nobody had any data about. And it really has proven to be finding the proverbial needle in a haystack to find an aircraft that wasn't sitting on a nice smooth, you know, clay bottom, but rather is probably tucked at the bottom of some narrow crevice. Um, and it may be many, many years now before she's ever found. So huge gaps and our job is to see, can we try and fill them? Can we dive in a little bit deeper and can you tell us how we're going to do that? How do we complete that jigsaw to ensure that by the end of this decade it might be impossible to hit the 100% but let's see how far we can get in mapping in this remaining very large part of the global ocean floor that we know surprisingly little about. There's a fairly limited number of survey ships available and in the time span we've got between now and 2030 there aren't going to be magically dozens of extra survey ships coming into service that can get down there and start measuring those gaps and also you know who's going to pay for it so we have to think outside the box how are we going to fill in the uh, the gaps in the knowledge and we're probably going to have to do a lot of it using robotics what I think is likely to end up happening is that we'll end up having to use the robots to mow the lawn, which is the phrase people tend to say, is very much like mowing the lawn and making those nice stripes to be able to, you know, get those repeat sections up and down, particularly the more remote parts of the ocean, the places where the, you know, cargo ships don't go, the, the survey ships don't go. There's no pipeline route or cable route, so nobody's had any commercial reason to go out there and map it or chart it. We can use satellites. How, how can I put this? A satellite orbits at a fixed height above the Earth's surface. When you get something like a deep valley or a mountain, it, it causes a change, a localized change in the Earth's gravitational field. So the satellite kind of it dips a little bit over the valley, it rises a little bit over the mountain, and so surprisingly, satellite maps can give you a fair amount of information about the shape of the seafloor. It's not to any high degree of resolution, so you're not going to find individual wrecks or small features, but if you just want to know the basics, like is there a mountain range or is there a valley there, the satellite's pretty good. Um, not good enough for a, an actual finished chart of the ocean, but at least gives you some data. So I suspect what we're going to find ourselves doing is working with our friends in industry, using ships of opportunity where available, using these new technologies that are becoming more affordable and more usable to get out there, put you know packages onto ships that might have been going into an area anyway. Could you share with us any wonderful examples in working with your industry partners of early successes? The research councils in the UK and in other countries, we have small fleets of very well-equipped research ships which tend to go to places where other ships don't. In the Arctic it's not too difficult because the the ice you see in the Arctic is ice that's sat over ocean. 
So you can send submarines under there, you can send robots under there, and uh, with global warming, we're losing more and more of that sea ice, particularly in the summer. So now we find that the ships are able to get in and get high quality maps of the shape of the seafloor during the summer months. When you get down to Antarctica, it's land with ice on top of it and then uh, you know the ice over the sea around the edge of the land. Some of these waters haven't been mapped, well sometimes at all, <laughs> uh, sometimes they haven't been looked at since Cook visited in the 1770s. You know, we're still using charts that were hand-drawn charts with you know, lead lines to try and get the shape of the seafloor. And now for the first time, we're able to go to the research community who didn't go down there to map, but we're saying, hey, if you're going to be in this area anyway, you know, switch on the echo sounder, do some charts for us, and uh, you know, we're going to help you. If you need to have some extra staff on board, we might be able to fund you having that extra person or the or the if there's a piece of kit that's normally switched off because it's expensive to operate we might be able to help cover the costs of switching that on during the survey so that it can provide this essential extra data set. I know it's early days you've only been in the job since Monday and that's only a couple of days ago but what's really surprised you what's really excited you what's really made you feel wow I've made the right um, career choice here. I've been very lucky working in this world you know the the ocean community is a marvelous bunch of people to work with. In terms of surprises I think first of all it's the enthusiasm with which the industry wants to meet this challenge. Everybody wins by having a more detailed uh, you know data set of the global ocean. You know, the, to use that old term you can't manage what you haven't measured and as, as we're, we're trying to electrify our economies, we're trying to find how do we move to a world where we're not having to burn those hydrocarbons anymore. And as we move into a world that's using more marine energy, uh, you know, whether it's electrolyzing hydrogen using renewables, or, or whether we're building the electric economy, we might need to use some of the rare earth metals and elements that are down there on the deep ocean floor. At the moment, we, we don't even know where these things all are. We, there's still a lot of research to be done on how can these products be safely exploited, you know, because there's no point mining you know, some, some rare earth metal which ends up causing even more environmental harm than the hydrocarbons we were burning before. If we want to know what are the places we need to be surveying, what are the places you want to target, we need those charts so that we can get down there, send down the robots. The, these, are, these are parts of the ocean far too deep to ever put a human diver. Uh, you know, what's the limit? Human diver, a few hundred meters? We're looking at places that are 4,005, 6, 7, even down to the full ocean depth of 11, 000, nearly 11,000 meters. You know, you could put Mount Everest down in the deepest trenches and you still have over a mile of ocean above it. And so we have these huge gaps. We need to f fill them in <laughs> so, so, so that we can, we can manage it. So I'm just kind of glorified uh, pothole uh, service engineer for the next few years. You know, you, know, you, know, you can imagine we've got this uh, massive, massive map. There's potholes everywhere, but we don't know how deep they are, how wide they are, or how much effort is going to be needed to uh, you know, work out what, what shape and volume these things occupy. So. Uh, and that's what I hope to be able to help with.
It's been a pleasure listening to you on your first couple of days as you start the journey of filling these wonderful potholes, but with a, a wonderful objective and mission. Thank you very much. So much of what we do is dependent on our oceans, and historically, we have known so little about them. However, this is changing quickly, thanks to projects like Seabed 2030 and the efforts of people like Steve Hall. You've been listening to a Planet Beyond podcast short. Until next time, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference.